Well, I love how practical this series has been as we have been taking a look at the big questions of life. And we've been answering questions like, uh, what, what happens if I get stuck in my faith? How can I believe that the Bible is true? Why do bad things happen to good people? And it's been really good for me personally just to hear uh, these messages from Ashley and from Mark. Now, next week is Mother's Day, so this is your reminder, guys, to, to place your order on Amazon earlier in the week so that next Saturday night you're not shopping uh, at the QT, uh, <laughs> frantically searching for something. And moms, next weekend, let me just say that it's, it's going to be a powerful service next weekend. I, I really hope you'll be a part of it. But today we continue our, our series and we want to answer this question. Why can't I just live life my way? And if you're a parent of a toddler or a teen, I'm sure this is a familiar question for you. Let me answer the question with another question. How, how many rules are there in, in the game of golf? Well, back when it began, there were only about 17. Now there are 34 main rules. But then if you elaborate further on those, there are over 150 different intricate rules. For instance, if you accidentally put your ball down uh, on the tee box and you put it one inch in front of the tee markers, that's a two-shot penalty. If you are in deep rough and you swing at the ball and you miss the ball, if you had the intent of hitting it, that counts as a stroke. If you hit a ball into a water hazard, a water hazard is a pond or a lake. Uh, if you hit a ball into a water hazard, that's, that's a one-shot penalty. If you're a pastor, we just call that baptism weekend. Uh, <laughs> but there are different rules that navigate through that entire sport and help us. Golf expects you to play the game and abide by the rules so that your score will accurately reflect your performance. So let's imagine that Ashley Wooldridge takes me golfing, which he graciously did on Friday, and let's imagine that we're on the 11th tee box and I aim right down the middle of the fairway, but for some reason my ball squirts over to the right and goes out of bounds and lands in a nest of rattlesnakes, all right? Now at that moment, the rule is that's a two-shot penalty and I'm now hitting my third ball, my third shot right there at the exact same tee box. But once my Aaron tee shot lands out of bounds, myself and the other two golfers, we all immediately and simultaneously look at Ashley. Why do we look at Ashley? Why are we fixated on him? Well, because there's a term in golf called a mulligan. And it represents freedom, it represents grace, it's a do-over. A mulligan brings instant joy to the weekend golfer because when you receive a mulligan, instead of taking the penalty for hitting the ball out of bounds, the individual allows you to hit that shot again. It's like the first one never happened. It, it's, it's like you're starting all over again. But the reason that we are all staring at Ashley is because Ashley is the guy who paid for our rounds of golf that day. <laughs> and there is an unspoken rule in the sport of golf, and here it is, the, the one who pays the price for the golf rounds gets to decide who it is that receives a mulligan. It's, it's up to them, because they're invested. The day has cost them something. 
And so it's Ashley's decision. Now, in a case like that, what usually happens, if, if the guy who's buying isn't in a close match with you, and if the person is a Christian, um, which Ashley is, for the sake of this illustration, uh, he will say, hey, Dave, you know what? Take a mulligan. Hit, hit another shot. Don't worry about it. And I breathe a sigh of relief because my score isn't ruined and I will have the freedom now to start all over with a fresh, clean slate. It seems that every aspect of our lives is, is governed more by, by rules and less by grace. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, even a simple game would be no fun without rules. But we have a tendency to see restrictions and boundaries as barriers to what we want, obstacles to our freedom. Maybe you saw an interesting story that came out in the New York Post back on March 17th. Uh, they announced that in April, Southern California theme parks were going to begin to reopen with limited capacities. But what they said on March 17th was the California Attractions and Parks Association voted and they announced that they wanted those who rode their roller coasters to remain silent and refrain from shouting while they were on the rides. And even people only sitting in every fourth row, that's what they started with, every fourth row on a roller coaster, they were so concerned that the coronavirus would spread by their blood-curdling screams that they, they said no, no screaming aloud. I, I like what Disney said. Disney encouraged roller coaster riders to scream in their heart. <laughs> Is that hilarious? I, I just wonder how that's, that's working out. And we listened to that and our response is that rules restrict us. And so something boils up within us and we, we shout with William Wallace that all we want is our freedom. And that is what everybody wants, isn't it? We don't want somebody telling us how to live. We don't want somebody telling us what to do. I wanna live life and I wanna live it my way. I like the clarification that Kevin Myers makes. He says, we, we say that we are anti-rules, but the reality is we, we don't want to get rid of the rules. We just want to be the ones who make them. There's a lot of truth in that. There's a reason that one of the biggest hit songs of all time was Frank Sinatra singing, I did it my way, because that resonates with us. We want to call the shots because we think that if someone tells us what to do, then they are robbing us of our independence and they're robbing us of our freedom. It comes to mind when you're dating someone and you, you want to have the intimate privileges of marriage without the commitment of marriage. Or when we're facing some unexpected bills and, and tithing just seems to be so burdensome. And so at times we, we even... We even get perturbed with God and his rules. But what if, what if those boundaries and guidelines, what if those rules and regulations were designed by your creator to allow you to experience maximum freedom and maximum fulfillment? What if those guidelines from God and those guardrails were actually motivated by love and not by control? Let's begin by by looking at three different beliefs that we find in society today, three popular ones. 
And some believe and say, here's the first one, that God's objective isn't what's best for me. That's just the way they look at life. In other words, God's agenda is quite different than yours. He has a different end goal in mind than you have. We think God probably wants me to live a life of poverty or to say no to a future with the person of my dreams or to become a missionary in some underdeveloped country. But God wants you to reach your potential. That's what he wants. He created you for a purpose and he can unfold that in a variety of ways. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And all we can see in our lives is what we've experienced. But he knows your entire life. And he knows that what you're experiencing isn't the end of the road, it's just a bend in the road. And like a loving father, his objective is always what's best for you. Well, there's another popular belief today, and that is that some think that that God is too controlling of my life. That he is over the top of us. He's a cosmic party pooper, a killjoy, a wet blanket, an anti-fun God. And if we follow him, we won't have any fun. He'll, he'll control us. And our natural tendency is to resist whatever restrictions that God or anyone wants to put on us. We don't like relationships where someone is controlling, especially when they try to control us. That's, that's not a lot of fun whether it's a controlling spouse or whether you're a middle schooler who feels like your parents are trying to control you. I remember back when I was 15 years old, I experienced every teenage boy's dream. My parents said that they were going to leave town for a couple of days and they were going with another couple. Now, my dad at the time was a dean of Cincinnati Christian University and he said, I'm gonna have you boys, my brother and me, I'm gonna have you all stay down in the dorm That way I can keep an eye on you and I can know what time you come in at night. I said, don't you trust us? He said, no. (laughs) But when my parents left, they made one tactical error. They rode with the other couple and my mom had driven to the campus and my dad had driven to the campus. That left two cars on the campus. No sooner had they left, my 18-year-old brother came to me and he handed me a set of car keys to a Dodge Dart that we had, 1969, the Blue Beauty. It was a chick magnet, all right? (laughs) He said, Dave, you've been a relatively decent brother. He said, why why don't you take the car out for a spin sometime today? I said, you're the best brother that's ever lived. You have to understand, he was 18, I was 15. At that time in the state of Ohio, you couldn't even get your permit until you were 16. And then you had to have that permit for a while before you could get your license. But he gave it to me and I felt like I needed to obey what my brother said. And so for the next two days, I drove around the campus of Cincinnati Christian University. I would wait for an administrative assistant to come out of a building. I'd say, hey, Angie, where are you going? She'd say, I'm going across campus to make some copies. I'd say, hop in, I'll give you a ride. I'd drive her over there. I'd say, when are you coming out? I'll be back in about 10 minutes. I'll give you a ride back. So I ran a shuttle service for lonely secretaries for two days, okay? But everyone who got in the car with me, I said the exact same thing. I said, whatever you do, do not tell my parents. Oh, Dave, nobody's gonna tell your parents. You don't need to worry. My parents came back in town. 
First couple of days, everything was smooth sailing. Third day, my dad came home from work. He said, boys, he said, I wanna see you in my study. We went in the study. My dad started pacing. You ever seen your dad pace? He starts pacing back and forth. He looks at us, he says, is there anything that you boys wanna tell me? Well, he'd been gone for over two days. We had done a lot of different things. <clears throat> and we didn't know what he had on us. And my brother and I live by a very simple philosophy. Never confess to a felony if he only has you for a misdemeanor. <laughs> so he says, is there anything that you boys want to tell me? I said, we have nothing to declare. <laughs> and my dad, being a preacher, immediately begins to spout off an impromptu parable. He says, a certain man went on a journey out of town with his wife. Oh, no. <laughs> I know where this is going. A certain man went on a journey out of town with his wife. Before leaving, he entrusted two sets of car keys to his older son, who in turn entrusted one set of car keys to his younger brother, who proceeded to drive around the campus of Cincinnati Christian University for two days, even though he didn't have a license. What should happen to these two boys? Dead silence. He said it again, what should happen to these two boys? Finally, my Sunday school training kicked in, and I said, as surely as the Lord lives, the elder brother must die. As I recall, my dad did not think it was that funny. And when I turned 16 years of age, sometime later, he said, hey, happy birthday, but you're going to have to wait to get your driver's license. Oh, ouch, that hurt. My parents had rules. Society had rules. And yet I still wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to live my life the way I wanted. And at times that has been an apt description of my struggle, whether I was 15 or whether I was 50. Rules are designed to allow you to get the most out of your life. Boundaries are there to protect you and ultimately to give you more freedom and to improve your life. Why do parents have boundaries and rules and restrictions? It's because they care. And wise parents will have tight reins and restrictions when the kids are young. And then they will gradually be given more freedom and more responsibility as they mature and prove themselves faithful. It's a biblical principle that you're already familiar with. It's found in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Jesus says, be faithful in the small things and I will put you in charge of many things. That's not being a controlling parent, that is a healthy pattern for parenting. Boundaries foster security. These are your children, and as a parent, you get to make the rules and establish the boundaries. And each of us, we are God's children. And so our Heavenly Father, he gets to make the rules, and he gets to set the boundaries and determine the consequences when we disregard his expectations. That's not controlling, that's love. Had God created us as robots, he would be controlling, but he didn't. He created us with free will. We get to make our own choices. My son Sam and uh, his wife Kathleen have been married for a couple of years, and, and uh, they had their first child back in November. And of course, COVID uh, has changed so many things, and so we didn't get to go down and be in a waiting room while we were waiting for the baby to arrive. 
But when the, the little guy, uh, when they left the hospital and they, they drove to our house, uh, the in-laws were there and I'll never forget it because Kathleen came walking in carrying the baby and she went straight to her mom and my son Sam walked in and he went straight to his mom, to my wife. And I saw him talking with her. He only had time to probably say two or three sentences. And then I saw my wife start to cry. And I saw Sam give her a hug. And then he walked over to me. And when he walked over to me, he repeated the very same words to me that he had said to her. He said, I just wanted you to know that until a couple of days ago, I had absolutely no earthly idea how much you love me. But I do now. Thanks so much. When the child becomes a parent and begins raising their own kids, somehow the rules and the boundaries of their parents start to make more sense to them. Oh, that's, that's why you cared about who it is that I spent time with. Oh, that's why you don't want an unlicensed 15-year-old driving a two-ton vehicle, right? <laughs> the boundaries are motivated by love. Let's look at one more popular belief in our society, and that is that God doesn't know as much as I do. Now, don't get me wrong. We would never say this out loud. But at times, our attitude and behavior seems to communicate that. God doesn't know as much as, as we do. And yet, we are the creature, and he is the creator. But you're not the first to think that, and you're not the first to ask the question, why can't I just live life my way? Satan felt that way. He wanted total control in heaven. He was an angel, but he wanted to do things his way. He thought more highly of himself, and that's why God kicked him out of heaven. He thought that he was better than God. And Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, tells us about his exit from heaven. And Satan's attitude was, nobody's gonna tell me what to do. But it didn't stop with Satan. Next came Adam and Eve. And they felt that they knew more than God and they thought that they could become like God because the serpent told them if they just ate of this tree. The story is found in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. And isn't it interesting that the very temptation that Satan offered Eve was the same one that got him, got Satan, kicked out of heaven. You see, Adam and Eve didn't like their rules. I shouldn't say rules because there was only one rule. God said, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of, of good and evil. Everything else in the garden, you can have whatever you want. Just don't eat of that one tree. One rule. But one rule broken multiplies the rules. And Moses gave 10 commandments, but when those were disregarded, it led to 603 more commandments for the Jewish people. That's what happens when rules get broken and you know the rest of the story, our problems snowball when we convince ourselves that tasting the forbidden fruit leads to freedom. I heard a theologian once say, it seems that every human will gravitate to becoming more like God or more like Satan. 
The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Think about that. If you really think you know better than the one who hung the solar system in place, then that places you on a level above God. Remember Mark talking last week about Job's conversation with God? But even if that were true, that somehow we were above God and it's not, would you really want it that way? I mean, that would, that would be a, a lot of pressure. Think of it like this. Do you really want to have the responsibility of God without having the power of God? That would be so foolish. Well, we've looked at three popular but false beliefs in our society. Let's look at three reasons to live life God's way. Reason number one, whoever creates the universe gets to make the rules. Makes sense, doesn't it? Seems fair. I have a friend who always says, if you can believe the very first verse of the Bible, then you should be able to believe everything else that's in the Bible. What does it say there in Genesis chapter one, verse one? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So if God is powerful enough to do that, then what's the big deal about making it rain for 40 days and 40 nights? What's the big deal about taking a kid's box lunch and feeding 5,000 people? What's the big deal about someone living inside the belly of a fish for three days? What's the big deal about someone being healed? What's the big deal about someone from the dead coming to life? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is all powerful. There's only one Messiah per universe, and you are not him. Here's another reason to live life God's way. Reason number two is obedience to God's rules will always lead to freedom. Another way to say that is rebellion to God's rules never leads to freedom. And not only does the Bible teach that, but statistics and surveys and common sense and logic bear this out. God's ways are always best for us, not only in the next life, but in this one as well. For instance, the Bible warns us about the, the dangers of debt. It says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, it says that the borrower is servant to the lender. And those of us who have had great debt in our lives would agree with that verse, and we would add that getting out of debt can, can be quite liberating and freeing. Why? Because God's ways make sense. How about another area? How about sexual intimacy? The world says sleep with who you want, when you want. But when the Bible speaks of sexual intimacy, it speaks of faithfulness, of, of saving yourself for one person and then marrying and, and staying with that person so that you can enjoy and you can explore the world of intimacy with your spouse and only your spouse. Proverbs chapter five, verse 15 says, drink water from your own cistern. In other words, you, you stick with the person that you chose. Author Chuck Swindoll says, the grass always looks greener on the other side of the fence, but it's poison. A loving God put the fence there to protect you. God's ways make sense. Let's look at uh, another area. The past 14 months have taken its toll on the mental health of, of so many in our country. 
I've certainly felt it. No doubt you have as well. And you've heard the statistics as anxiety has just escalated in America. And when it comes to surveys and, and polling, the Gallup organization is probably the most respected. And just a few months ago, they did comprehensive research to determine the, the percentage of, of mental health decline of Americans from the year 2019 to the year 2020. And they measured it in 14 different categories. And they came across the fact that in almost every single demographic, there has been a decline in mental health. I'm gonna show you uh, the chart of, of the Gallup Poll's findings. Looked at gender, looked at household income, looked at age groups, really didn't matter. If you look at this column over here, they measured, they quantified the decline of mental health. It was down eight points, down 10 points. Didn't matter if it was male or female there. Household income, down six points for those who made less than $40,000 a year. For those who made more than $40,000, the last year hit them harder, mentally. Down 12 points. Age group, really doesn't matter how old or how young you are, it was about the same. We look at the next one, party identification. Uh, Democrats and Republicans, both are down, but the poll was done in middle of November after the national election, so Republicans are really down. <laughs> 15 points in the Democrats are saying, yeah, we're only down one point. Let's look at another category, let's, let's look at race. Really doesn't matter, once again. It's all about the same. Let's look at one more category. Every single category is down except for one. Church attendance for those who come to church on a weekly basis. Please do not tell me that the church is non-essential. The only category out of 14 categories that had positive improvement in the emotional health of an individual was those people who came to church regularly. Let's unpack that a little bit more. Let's look at this, just these three areas, because in fairness, you need to know this. Those who came weekly, positive improvement of four points. Those who came monthly, negative decline of 12 points. Those who came seldom to never, down 13 points. What do you derive from that? Here's what you derive. Faith is not something to play at. Faith has got to be a priority. This is not a faith of convenience. This must be a faith of commitment. And I'm here to tell you that these studies reveal what God's word has been saying all along, that your emotional health will be better if you have a group of people that you're living life with and that you're doing life with. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, Hebrew writer says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You say, well, I, I, I get it, Dave, I get it. I mean, it's, it's starting to make sense now as I hear you talk. I mean, of course, you're a pastor. You're pushing worship attendance for, for the church's sake. Well, honestly, the, the church survived months of congregations not being able to meet physically in person. So I'm not encouraging you to come to worship for the church's sake. I'm encouraging you for your sake. Because I want you to be healthy spiritually, relationally, emotionally. Say, why can't I just live life my way? Because my way and your way doesn't lead to freedom. And we all want freedom. 
And the Bible teaches that freedom is found in Jesus Christ. God the Father gave us the 10 commandments to reveal our sinfulness and to underscore our profound need for a savior who could keep the law and fulfill it. That's why God sent Jesus. In Romans chapter eight, verse one, one of my favorite verses, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's great news, but I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, it, it, uh, <laughs> it sounds too good to be true. And that's because we have absolutely no earthly idea just how much God loves us. And it's difficult for us to grasp. And God loved you enough to send his son to earth to live a perfect life, to die an atoning death in order to pay for every sin that we've ever committed, in order to pay for every rule that you have ever broken. You say, but uh, how can I have hope knowing that on the day of judgment, I'm gonna stand before a perfect and holy God. How can I have hope? How can I know for certain that Jesus Christ will forgive me of all my sins? Here's how you can know. And it goes back to our golf story and the mulligan. Remember? The one who pays the price determines who gets the grace. And make no mistake, Jesus paid the price. He paid the ultimate price. And he gets to discern determine who receives his grace. And at the cross, Jesus received what I deserved. And someday I can receive what I don't deserve. And if you are searching for freedom, I'm here to tell you, all roads lead to Jesus. If you've never committed your life to Jesus, here's my challenge for you today. My challenge is that you will accept Jesus Christ and that you will accept his grace, that that will be a part of your life, that you will say, he's the one who paid the price. He's the one who determines who gets the grace. And so I'm going to accept him. That's where my hope is. You can't experience that, that forgiveness and that fulfillment and that freedom until you completely surrender and turn your life over to the Lord. And so before you leave any of our campuses, you need to talk to somebody. Go, go to the info center. Go to the, the tent if you're watching online, engage in the chat and say that you'd, you'd like to talk with someone or pray with someone. If you want, uh, if you're watching, take your phone out and your mobile phone and just text the word hope to 72020. And someone can help you with that next step. Jesus ex extending his grace to those who put their trust in him. And for those of you who are already followers of Christ, here's your challenge. I want you to tell someone this week about the mulligan, about the freedom that you have experienced and found in Jesus Christ. If you have good news, you, you, you can't keep it to yourself. So share it with someone, the relief and the freedom that you've experienced because of Christ's forgiveness. You can live life your way or you can live life God's way. The choice is yours. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, I'm reminded of the words in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Lord, we wanna do things your way and not our way. Would you help us to do just that? In Jesus' name, we pray. And all God's people said, amen.